0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com.
2: Today, I'm speaking with Ariel Pasternak and Natara Bernstein, co-founders of Pineapple Collaborative, and on a mission to connect and celebrate women who love food. What started as essentially a small community builder grew into an events company, putting on panels and bringing women together in cities across the U.S. Then, last year, the duo launched their first pantry products, a velvety olive oil and a perfectly balanced apple cider vinegar. They've been featured in Goop, NPR, Food & Wine, Bon Appetit, and both in last year's Forbes 30 Under 30. So welcome, ladies.
3: Thanks for having us, Allie. (laughs)
4: Great to be here.
2: We're so excited. Um, Well, I'm excited because I feel like, I don't know, I don't even remember how many years ago I met you, but um, I'm just excited that you're building and you're creating and you're making really great things that are making people really happy. And, um, you know, I think all of us, especially right now, that's kind of what keeps us going, you know, that we're providing a
4: little joy. Um, where are both of you? Are you, Atara, where are you right now? I am in Jersey city right now. Um, hunkered down, like, most everyone else, um, and yeah, it's it's been interesting. I mean, Ariel and I have been working remotely and kind of getting together maybe a couple of times a week, but have really set us set ourselves and our team up as a remote team anyway. And so the transition has been a lot easier for us, which we're grateful for. Yeah, and Ariel, you're in Brooklyn.
3: Yep. I'm in Brooklyn. And I was just going to say, I think we first maybe formally met or at like the moment I knew where we really connected is when you came down to DC in 2017 to promote your book. Yeah. Uh, and we Pineapple DC hosted an event for you at Centralina.
2: Yes. Which was, was amazing. So yeah, no, that was a great one. And then that was where, um, I met, um, who, who is, what is it, Amy? Who's the amazing chef at Centralina?
3: Yeah. Amy Brandwine. Yeah.
2: She's wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. So how did you guys meet? Let's get into it a little bit because I know how, I think I know how I met you, but how'd you meet each other?
3: Yeah, we met at the farmer's market in DC. Uh, I had been and um, helped start a restaurant in dc that started in the farmer's markets
2: i remember so, the taco
3: place yep yeah and we were there you know i was at market every week slinging tacos and um, atara at the time worked at sweet green and we had a mutual friend in the food space and met at the farmer's market um and then you know atara was part of the early days of pineapple DC and we got to know each other and the rest is history.
2: And Atara, what, like what, It's going to be easier probably because since we're not all together, if I sort of like direct a question. So Ariel, you can feel free to answer if I direct a question to Atara. But without us being able to make eye contact, it gets a little bit like either nobody talks or both people talk. So I'm going to start with you. (laughs) What was the, um, what, you know, did you guys just meet and become friends and then start discussing like, what you were missing in DC or how, how, what what kind of was the idea for
3: pineapple
4: yeah it was kind of an interesting um interesting point in time i think for both of our lives when we met uh like ariel said i was working for sweet green at the time um and ariel was Ar- ariel started pineapple dc on her own Um, from, uh, you know, moving from New York to D.C. and meeting so many women in food in D.C. and realizing that many of them didn't know one another. And so she started a potluck at her mom's and, uh, you know, kind of formulated the idea of Pineapple D.C. from there. Um, we met around the time where she was just starting Pineapple DC and became friends. And at first it wasn't, you know, our friendship wasn't necessarily about pineapple. It was really just about our mutual love for food. Um, And, you know, over time really connected about how we could create a larger brand and experience around pineapple. Um, Right. And, you know, in 2017, that's when we got together and decided to, create a, a larger movement around pineapple, not just in D.C., but across the country, uh, creating this brand for women who love food to express their style, identity, and values. And so right.
2: that's where we're at today. And Ariel, what, what was it that you were hoping, you know, what did you think that potluck was going to be? Or what, was there a goal? Or was there just something missing that you wanted it to fill? Like, what was the potluck?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it first started, like Atara mentioned, as an industry event. Um, mm-hmm. It was, I had moved to D.C. to open a restaurant and began meeting all these women in food in a one-off capacity, recognizing they didn't know one another. And then right. on top of that, there wasn't any place for us to talk about issues in food that interested us personally or professionally. Right. So... Um, it was really to share ideas and resources as well as like eat and drink, you know, good food and beverage and just be inspired. Um, so really that first potluck is the essence of what pineapple is today, which is, you know, celebrating, um, not only women in the food industry, but also women who love food. And I think that's a really important distinction about pineapple because you know, we are we are not an industry group by any means. Right. Anyone, even men, um, can join <laughs> Pineapple, um, whether that's online or at one of our events when you know it's safe to host in person events. Right, and um, we really believe that food is how so many people express themselves, and you know they are looking for. Um, resources as well as brands to align with where they can really explore the multifaceted nature of it.
2: Right. And when you guys, I mean, cause I remember, I remember it, what I always loved about it was that it didn't feel top down. It felt very bottom up and it always felt like you had so many people at that event in DC. I mean, people don't know how to get that many people in a room. And then we did a panel at Haven's Kitchen and you had so many people in that room. And it just felt like it was this groundswell of people who were really interested in kind of picking up what you were putting down. Um, did you think at that point it was going to be more of an events and a content business or... Did the idea for products and sort of a marketplace, was that always, you know, or did that start to be part of it? Or when did it start to be part of it? Because you could have just gone from city to city and just kind of gone in that direction and just had a, you know, a real sort of events, almost like a wanderlust type of model, you know, where you just had events everywhere. And really the main sort of income was ticket sales and things like that. But... That's not the direction you went in.
3: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, We, you know, from the, when we started the potluck, that was simply a side project. You know, my full-time job was opening and then running a restaurant. Um, But, you know, when Atara and I banded up together to launch Pineapple Collaborative, we really saw the potential for um, creating an ecosystem for women who love food And a multifaceted business that existed not only with the in real life events, which is what we had done to date, but also original digital content that we felt was missing in the universe of food media. And so that's when we launched The Pantry, which is our peek into the kitchens of women we admire. Right. And then, you know, it was from running that business for probably about a year that we knew... We wanted to launch products, um, and that's because we know that, like as women who love food, you know the place that you turn to in your personal life besides going out is at home in your kitchen, and that's where you really express yourself. And right. so we wanted to, you know, put Pineapple Collaborative in your kitchen somehow.
2: Yeah. And then what were I mean? So presumably you guys were like, okay this is the sort of natural next step for us. How did you go about a deciding, I mean, I remember sitting with you and being like, don't do anything, you know, refrigerated. Um, But other (laughs) than like (laughs) making, you know, trying to figure out like what was like, what were, how did you sit down and what were your first steps together where you were like, okay, these are the things that we'd like to sell. These are how we're, this is, you know, how we're going to decide what to sell. This is how we're going to go about, figuring it all out? Like, and which came first, the olive oil or the ACV?
4: Yeah, I think that's also a really good question, Allie. And I remember, you know, having this conversation together with you about which products we should select first. And I think it came from both intuitively, uh, you know, knowing the products that we were excited about, and then also, collecting the data from our uh, blog series, The Pantry, and seeing the products that women were reaching for every single day, uh, yet didn't necessarily have a strong brand loyalty towards. And so the olive oil for us was a no-brainer because it is such a staple in every woman's kitchen. And we saw a real need to create a product that was beautiful and approachable and stood for something more than just, you know, The product itself, but really meant that women were involved in the food in the uh, supply chain, and um, and that it could be connected to a brand that you know was rooted in community. And then for it really is, I
2: mean, on top of being a really pretty package, you know, there are a lot of pretty packages. It happens to be a really delicious olive oil. Like it's really good. So is the, so is the vinegar. I mean, and they're both gorgeous, but you know, there's, there's gorgeous stuff out there that isn't as great tasting. Um, So it was really, really well executed. So sorry to interrupt. Keep going.
4: (laughs) (laughs) No, no problem. Thank you so much for the compliment. We, we agree that we, yeah, it's, they're beautiful and delicious products. Um, And then for the apple cider vinegar, you know, that's a product that we definitely saw as a, a dark horse and an opportunity because it's a product that we saw in a lot of women's kitchens, but people didn't really talk about it that much. And there's really uh, you know, only one or two brands that we saw mm-hmm. cropping up time and again, and they're more commodity products um, mm-hmm. or just like kind of heritage brands. And so yeah. we saw a lot of opportunity to innovate and really create a new kind of experience around a vinegar that is such a special product on its own. And then
2: in terms of making sort of a product roadmap, do you guys have ideas like you want to kind of do a new product every year or are you like, how does that look? What does that look like for you?
4: Yeah. I mean, Arielle, feel free to add to this when I'm done because I'm curious about your response too. But you know, obviously, the COVID crisis has kind of changed our plans dramatically, and we've had to pivot. Um, you know, I think the beauty of Pineapple being, um, you know, a really small and mighty company um, is the fact that we can like recalibrate our plans when we need to, and we are constantly uh, kind of getting together to revisit what our strategy is on a yearly basis.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, we always have had our mindset on, uh, or our heart set on creating, um, you know, a line of pantry staples. So it's not going to be the olive oil and the ACV all on their own. Um, right. But, you know, for now, we're really going to focus on uh, celebrating those two products before we launch a new product, um, hopefully sometime soon. Yeah. Ariel, do you have thoughts? <laughs> yeah.
3: I mean, you know, Ali, really appreciate, you know, your feedback about our products. You see and try them all, you know, from I'm sure your personal experience, but also, you know, being at the helm of Haven's Kitchen. And it did take Otara and I about a year and a half to develop uh, the olive oil and the apple cider vinegar. Yeah. And it's because we cared, you know, as much or more about, you know, the flavor and the sourcing of the products as we did, you know, the design and the aesthetic. And so, you know, as food people who, you know, both Atara and I actually studied, um, you know, environmental science in college. And so we definitely approach food from that perspective. And so it wasn't good enough for us just to put like any old oil or vinegar in something that looked beautiful. Um,
2: Because you could have done that. Right. You know, I mean, that's, you could have, and a lot of people do. And I think that's filling up people's Instagram feeds, you know, honestly, mm-hmm. right now. And I think that part of the strength of what you guys have done is that you haven't done that. And I think that in times like these, you know, those sort of emptier shelves, um, they, that you know, they're, I, I keep using this expression, but it's kind of like, the three little pigs houses all look kind of the same from the outside, but the straw just doesn't hold up. Um, Right.
4: So you've got to have the style and the substance as we say. Exactly.
2: And so what was the year and a half? I mean, were you meeting different producers? Were you tasting different things? Were you blending different things? You know, like, how did you even know where to start with that?
3: yeah it's a great question and i think the part of what took us that amount of time was not just solely like our year and a half was spent developing these products but we also were running our other business which you know was events in four cities across the country um, as well as also you know original digital content we were publishing every week so Um, but in terms of the process of creating the product, once we like knew the idea had legs, we, um, honestly worked with a CPG consultant, um, Mm -hmm. to help us get on the right No, that's very
2: helpful. I think that you can, that's helpful. There are, there are people out there who help. I mean, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast haven't quite started yet. Um, and they're toying with it and they're thinking. About it. And there's no reason to, you know, try to invent something new that someone else can save you a little bit of time, you know, getting to where you need to. So what, what did you take away from that experience with the consultant that was sort of the most helpful, would you say?
3: I mean, she just pointed us in the right direction, you know, right. every time. I think we obviously came in with our idea and then we just had a lot of questions about like, where do we go for this? Where do we go for that? And, mm-hmm. you know, she, her name's Allie Ball. You probably know her. Um, oh,
2: someone was just talking about her. I think it was Sylvie from Just Date last week was talking about her.
3: Yep. Yeah. she I used yeah, I think
2: other Allie. yeah. Okay.
3: Um, I will she, tag her. <laughs> I think she used to be like the head buyer at Byright. Um, right. And then has, you know, been working in the CPG space um, independently ever since. And she, you know, was part of our network. So one of the advantages we had going into developing products mm-hmm. was that we, you know, had this built-in network of so many people in the food industry. So yep. um, as well as, you know, some credibility for, you know, people wanting to be part of our process. Um,
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Um, yeah,
3: just long story short, you know, Allie connected us to an oleologist, also a woman in the Pineapple Network, who, you know, helped us under, you know, we had sourcing criteria in mind, she helped do the due diligence on the different, you know, places we could source our oil. Um, And from there, we went to, you know, visit different producers and have conversations. Um, and that was back in the fall of 2018. Right. And then um, once we narrowed in on that producer we loved, we you know went through iterations of developing a blend that we really liked. Um, and on the you know, vinegar front, it was more just like, we talked to a number of different producers across the country, tasted their vinegars, loved the one from Little Apple Treats you know, again, went to their farm um, in the fall of 2018 and, you know, came out of it feeling really positive about a relationship, you know, honing in on the blend. And um, then the hard part, I thought, was really finding the right packaging designer and going through that whole process. But also, yeah. there.
2: no, but the, I mean, you, you crush that part. Um, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be right back with lots more questions.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S. grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's super fruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com.
2: I'm back with Ariel and Atara from pineapple collaborative okay so once you guys made the decision and you sort of got you know the olive oil and the apple cider vinegar kind of figured out um, what did you have to learn about d2c I mean you guys are like me we are in real life people we're like touching feeling smelling people Um we're not necessarily built for, you know, CAC and like acquisition online and Facebook ads and, you know, it's a whole different world. So what did you kind of have to get up to speed with and how was it for you? And I asked this question, you know, because I, I, candidly had a little bit of a, we were always selling something to some extent, right? Like Haven's always had classes and we always had things that you could buy, but primarily they were services and they were experiences. I, When we started having sauces, I felt like I didn't want to overwhelm our Instagram with like, buy this thing, swipe up to buy. Like I I really wanted Mm -hmm. to be sort of mindful that my community that I had built over, you know, seven years or whatever it was, didn't feel all of a sudden, like I was now selling them something. And Mm. I asked you guys in the, you know, in the questions before, did you have any of that? I mean, did you have any feelings of, you know, I, I don't want anyone feeling like now we're just selling, we're still creating experience for them, we're still trying to make a true community, not like a community in quotes. Um, but did you have any of that? And if so, you
4: know what did you learn? And you know, yeah. how'd you go about thinking about it? All really good points and questions, Allie. Um, before we, you know, officially launched our product line, we had a lot of conversations with advisors and friends about this uh, transition from, you know, being. A uh, very kind of grassroots community to doing something that, for the first time, is so overtly commercial, um, and right. really wanted to navigate that carefully and making sure that we nailed the messaging and so that it didn't come across as like, okay, we're we're now just selling you stuff. Um, yeah, to to put it to put it that way. But you know, I think for us, it really came down to thinking so critically about our messaging around the launch. And, um, you know, Arielle and I, for the month before our launch, were putting out letters to our community to uh, really share about what we were going through in a transparent way and uh, also teasing out the fact that we were having this big, big announcement coming, but, but really sharing with them that this is all in the name of creating a more uh, rich and uh, multidimensional experience with pineapple, and so right. when it came time to actually launch, people were so excited and uh, felt like it was such an organic fit in the pineapple experience because of what we had shared with them over the course of the month, and having them be involved in that launch um, in a really unique way really helped us as well. And what we're learning now and what we're seeing is that where we were like really shy about sharing. Uh, you know, our products in a more salesy way before is actually something that our community really wants. Um, yeah. You know, especially during this time of, uh, you know, unprecedented cooking in our in, in, in your yeah. kitchen, people really wanting to support the brands that they love, the small women-owned brands that they love. Um, you know, our community is really looking for this content and these products more than ever before. And so, we're, we're, we're getting more bold about our marketing now um, and finding that it's resonating.
2: Yeah, I, I think we're on a similar, you know, tr- I mean, if we don't get bold about our marketing and we're in like Whole Foods across the country, then I have no business like being in this business. So I have also gotten a little bit more bold about it. And I think I agree in the sense that I think also consumers are kind of used to it. There, the lines between content and commerce and experience and sales and everything is linked to products these days. So it doesn't feel inauthentic or, you know, disingenuous to have panels and also have a product. You know, right. I think there used to be maybe more of a firewall. And now I think people are just kind of like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. It's the natural extension of the brand. Mm -hmm. Um, Ariel, what about you? How, how do you think about it all?
3: Yeah. And what I'd add to what Atara shared is that, you know, what was really interesting about our community before products was that it was, you know, growing a ton online, um, you know, with women all over the country and expanding to host events, you know, all over the country, um, is actually a really hard thing to do if you want to do it in a, like, You know, real professional way. And so we were asking ourselves, we're like, you know, how can the person in Seattle or Austin or Boston in any rural area, you know, be part of Pineapple and having a product that, you know, truly reflected everything that they saw online about us Felt like a really smart decision. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's
2: so it's so interesting because it totally resonates with me because I remember in 2016 looking around Havens and being like, I got so many emails from people who were like waiting for their trip to New York City to come to hopefully take a class and that that's really wonderful. And it was really gratifying, but I had no, I wasn't going to be able to do anything in San Fran or LA or anywhere really. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just didn't see that as potential for me. So I I did kind of want to like, part of it was definitely how do I give people the Haven's kitchen experience or how do I get like the essence of what I'm trying to do here into something that really goes into people's kitchens and meets them where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, it's true. And I'm happy that I like it when, you know, again, I'm going to say it like where, where it comes from a mission and then it, then it extends out as opposed to I'm looking at a white space in the market and I'm just going to fill it. And then I'm going to create this brand story behind it. So people Mm -hmm. feel like it's authentic. It's just, I, I don't, I I love the way that you've done it and it's slower and it's going to be, you know, maybe a little bit harder in a lot of ways, but I think it's a stronger foundation at the end of the day.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'd love to talk about this idea of like we're not a venture backed business. We don't have millions of dollars. It's been a slow growth, you know, since really the potluck started in May of 2015, but just the last point that I would add about, you know, being a community business while still marketing products. Um, Someone wrote something recently about, you know, brands doing it right in, um, you know, in response to COVID. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you were one of maybe a dozen or so brands included. And, you know, what they said is that They first highlighted the community bulletin board that we created um, about, you know, a month after COVID started, which is an amalgamation of all sorts of resources that, you know, had been sent to us or that we saw from our community to, you know, help others out in this, you know, really challenging time. And it's something that we're continually updating and promoting on our channels. And so this analysis really applauded us, you know, by saying if the community board is an invitation to the party, pineapple collaboratives, olive oil and ACV are the party favors. Um,
2: That's so nice. That's a great, that's a great way to put it too. Love it.
3: And so I think that's really how we think about the interplay between the content, quote unquote, that we provide and, you know, being the leaders of this community um, and having our products.
2: I think it's great. And let's think about, so going back to the D2C question, um, have you had to learn all about that sort of ecosystem and selling things online? Are you at the point where you're selling your products to people outside of your community or your, you know, ecosystem yet where you're doing ads and, you know, selling it sort of just like the product for people who don't even know that there is this whole other thing behind it yet?
4: Yeah. So I think that's a, a really good question. Um, and, you know, Arielle and I have had to essentially teach ourselves so many different dimensions of selling a product and selling a product online, um, and everything mm-hmm. in between. And so, thinking about um, you know how we set up our logistics and our customer journey mapping yeah. and our marketing. I mean, everything really has been pretty much self-taught with the help of so many consultants and advisors as well. But you know I think for us, like Ariel referenced earlier, um, one thing that really sets us apart that I don't think a lot of people realize is that we are not a venture-backed company. Um, even though we are kind of playing in the same space Um, as some other companies that, you know, are venture backed, we don't necessarily have the same goals as those companies as a result. Um, And so, you know, it's been a really interesting um, uh, kind of an interesting thing to navigate, because for us, we're not, you know, growing just for the sake of growth, you know, with Mm -hmm. no kind of, um, you know, implications or without paying attention to our profits. I mean, we are essentially, you know, a small bootstrapped company. And so from the beginning, we are thinking very critically about our profitability, uh, which has been a really great exercise. We've been super disciplined about our finances. Um, Especially now. (laughs) Especially now, exactly. And it's been really helpful, you know, that we are profitable, um, you know, from the beginning. I think also what sets ourselves apart is that we launch products after you know building a highly engaged community who uh, supports us and you know is very in touch with everything that we're doing. And so right. where other brands are you know launching and you know have to think about their customer acquisition and their ad spend and how they're thinking about conversion you know, we really launched organically with a community that was very hungry for the products that we're offering and excited to uh, support us and and be involved. And so that's been an edge for us. Yeah,
2: for sure. And I think, you know, that those days, I mean, I've been talking about this for a little while on the show. And I always feel like the cranky old man who's like, (laughs) but I do think that sort of the days of Grow, 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 spend, 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 eventually we'll make some money or we'll exit. I think those days are gone. Um, yeah. at least for this cycle. And the companies that have been, even if they are funded, you know, that have been very careful with their spending and are looking at their margins and are looking at potential, you know, if they're not profitable now because it's hard for some products, depending on, you know, the category to be profitable early um, to get there as soon as possible. And, you know, not to spend enormous amounts on acquiring consumers that don't end up paying for what you've spent on them to acquire. Um, and that was right. the, you know, that was the zeitgeist for a while. And I think for companies like, you know, mine or yours, you know, bucking up against that felt, um it felt almost like we were, I don't know. It's like we, we walked into a big shiny birthday party for someone and we were wearing like the wrong shoes. Um, and I, I think that that's changing and I think you're right and I think you've built it really smart. Um, question. Question two people to start something. So I know Ariel, you know, had the first potluck. Um, but you guys are co-founders. And I'm curious about how you've sort of delegated the work, um, how you think about what that means. Um, when has that been challenging, if you want to share that? And, you know, what's some, I guess, tips you guys have for other people that are thinking about working with co-founders as opposed to going in on their own?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think the foundation of any good co-founder relationship, in my opinion, is uh, trust and, mm-hmm. you know, being able to trust the other no matter the situation. And, you know, I think the first two years we were in business were – especially challenging on a number of levels. And you just want to make sure that, you know, you really trust the person you're doing it with um, as, you know, everything else is already enough. Um, yeah. You know, with regard to, you know, our division of labor, you know, the way that Atara and I became co-founders is, you know, when I was thinking of um, making pineapple my full-time job, um she offered to help out with design, you know, our brand identity and our logo and all of that. And through that process, um, which was over a few months, um, we got to know like how to work with each other. Right. And so it was almost like uh you know, it was a really great experience to just see like if we jived and I think we shared a lot of similar um you know, preferences when it came to aesthetics and, you know, when it came to, you know, decisions to be made about the business. And um, I think that led to a point where, you know, she felt as passionately as I did about, you know, the potential for pineapple. And, you know, there wasn't, I'll speak for myself. Like I wasn't 100% sure that it would work out, but I also knew that, I didn't want to do run a business by myself. I'm someone yep. who like really loves having a team who really loves bouncing ideas off of someone and also, you know, having read about founders, solo founders who just were like killing themselves running a yeah. startup, um, yep. you know, I was thinking, hey, "Wouldn't it be nice if I could like take a day off and someone could still run the business?" Yeah. Um, and, you know, share the responsibility if you will. Um, so, you know, all of those things combined, you know, led to us deciding to work together. And I think it's taken like any relationship, right. Um, a lot of work and communication to be on the same page and, um, you know, run a business effectively.
2: Yeah. Atara, what about you?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think that something that's really helped us is like the complementary skill sets that we offer. Right. Um, and I think it's really given Pineapple, you know, a, a leg up, if you will, um, just knowing that we, you know, come from different, we have different experiences and different strong suits. I mean, I think it's really like given Pineapple um, this like multi dimensional edge. Um, I think a big challenge that, you know, we have have worked through and I think is is still something that we are working on is like we work at different paces, which I mm-hmm. think is really interesting. And so, yeah. um, you know, I tend to work very quickly and Ariel tends to work very deliberately. And I think we both have kind of met in the middle, which is um, now a really nice, nice pace where you know I am slowing down and, and thinking very critically about right. uh, you know each piece of work that I'm doing or each decision, and um, you know I think Ariel also is is like making decisions in a different way, and yeah. um, I think like coming together and compromising uh, has just really helped that process.
2: Those are the best. I don't know if you guys have ever taken this, but there's a, there's a quiz. Um, and it's, it's about your work style and it's Mm -hmm. not a personality test. It's not like I'm an ENFJ and you're an INTJ. It's, it's really about, um, analytic thinkers, um, who are the perfect balance to, someone who's more, you know, emotional, and sort of goes with their gut. And, you know, and and the great news about it is that you really want two different styles. Because you, you know, when you're too analytic, you know, you can get into sort of like analysis paralysis, right? And like, you get in the weeds. And when you're too sort of intuitive about it, or, you know, sort of like, got more, you know, quick paced in your thinking, you can miss some stuff. And you don't necessarily always think about, you know, the fifth ramification. So the best partnerships that I've seen, whether it's like personal relationships or work relationships, in this case work, are when you have that sort of yin yang, you know, and you're able to, to balance each other. Um, you don't really want two analytics running, running a company. Um, it's just, totally. it, it's hard to make decisions that way. Um, and I think when, you know, one of the things that that work styles test talks about is that what you really want to just be aware of is under stress analytics, get more internal and um, I'm trying to remember it's driver, analytic, amiable. And then there's the one that, that I am. and I don't remember it, but everyone has
4: headliner. No, but there are are
2: definitely like (laughs) 30 versions of this exact same quiz, but you know, it's like, I'm sort of like, I start a meeting and I'm just like, you know, and like, I'll, I'll also want to talk a lot about like our feelings, you know? And I mean, the analytics I work with are like, well, I'd really rather not like, can we just talk about what we're supposed to be talking about? And my meetings tend to be, you know, half an hour longer than they need to be because I'm saying the same thing over in a different way because I got a sense that maybe someone didn't quite understand. Like, it, it, it's something like that. Um, but the, it, ideally, I mean, I think what you said is really, really smart, that it's not just that you have complementary skill sets, but it's also that you have complementary styles. And that, yeah. that's critical, right? Um, so let's talk about a little bit how you guys are planning. Obviously this, you know, we're in a new normal, um, but was the plan kind of in February, okay, continue to build out that marketplace with more of our products. Are you considering other branded products from other brands and sort of having it be, you know, a pantry of all sorts of things are only sort of pineapple branded continue hosting events all over the country and continue creating really great original content. Um, Where's that sort of the three kind of prongs of the business as you saw it?
3: Yeah. So what's really interesting about our business is that our digital content and our events are powered by our sponsors. Um, So Mm -hmm. meaning uh, companies who financially, um, sponsor, you know, this content and, uh, that's how our business started. And it's been like, you know, a really important part of our business as we've grown. So right. we've worked with, uh, the delivery platform Caviar since 2017. Um, right. actually their commitment to sponsoring our events was like one of the, you know, um, reasons that we were, we knew we were able to like make this a business right. and they have, we've grown our partnership with them every year. And this year, in addition to the pineapple events in our four cities and sponsoring the pantry, um, they, we were also about to launch a really cool in real life um, initiative that hopefully cross your fingers, we'll be able to do so in the second half of the year. Um, And we were also about to announce a large partnership with Chase Sapphire in March, um, which had been in the works for many months. Um, Right. But I think that, you know, your bigger question of like, what was on tap, you know, we're always – juggling if you will these various aspects of our business we think of it kind of like you know content production um you know partnership maintenance and then products right. and certainly the question of um, a marketplace for other brands has um come across our desk and is something that we're definitely considering uh, you know building out the pineapple product pipeline and um how all of those fit together. We look at, you know, goop and food 52 as examples of businesses that we can be. Um, And so, you know, we're, we're trying to figure it out. And I think that, you know, the last seven weeks have been damage control mode, but now hopefully we'll get back into a more like creative, proactive place.
2: I actually had a really great discussion. I don't know if you heard the episode with Amanda and Christina, her product development person at 5-2. And one of the questions I asked them, I'm not sure if you heard it, but one of the questions was, did it was it weird to have a branded cutting board and then your cutting board? Um, and it wasn't. I mean, it was, they were really able to sort of support all of their makers and all of the other people and also have their products side by side. And they were thoughtful about not necessarily going into categories where they had really strong, like a really strong person already selling on it, Um but I do think it's interesting that there it doesn't have to be an either or. It can be an and. And I do love mm-hmm. the way, one more compliment to you guys, I love the way that you just kind of sometimes when when brands start, they kind of forget that there are other there are other olive oils in the world. And you would think that like they <laughs> are the only olive oil. Like we try to do this where we're like we mix with other brands a lot and we add, you know, we'll add a fly by Jing on top of our nutty lemongrass or Cause we're Mm -hmm. sort of like condiments are like, you know, lip balm, you know, you don't just have one, you can have a ton of condiments and you know, you one day you're in the mood for this and the next day you want a little tint. Um, But I do love the way that you're very, I don't know. You've just done it really beautifully and you, and, and your community is right to trust you. Um, And it's, it's nice that you also acknowledge that there are other, There are other brands out there and you've made it just not competitive. You've just made it very collaborative, which I think is part of your whole kind of secret to your success. I remember really early on you guys saying that you, you wanted to be the antidote to a bunch of things that were kind of firing up in the last couple of years where they were talking about community, but they might be making some people feel super excluded. And, I just want to tell you that you've really done that. Um, You really created something that really doesn't make anyone feel like they are wearing the wrong shoes to the party. So well done. Thank you, Allie. Well done. And now um, has this, has this changed your roadmap at all? Are you kind of leaning out of in real life stuff and going to lean in a little bit more into the content and the products I mean, I'm trying to figure out what my in real life thing is also.
4: Right. I mean, you know, I think like everyone else who has, you know, a gathering events or in real life component to their business, we are also trying to figure it out. Um, You know, we always say that our in real life gatherings are content um, in addition to our, you know, digital offerings. And so, really what we're trying to do now is figure out how to create an in real life like experience online, whether that's through zoom or, Mm -hmm. or another platform. And so we're going to be piloting our digital events soon. Um, and really just praying that all of this, you know, comes to an end soon, you know, for the sake of the world, humanity and our business (laughs) and for everyone. Yeah, exactly. So Really just playing it by ear. But again, I'll reiterate that, you know, we are very, very fortunate to have a really agile and nimble team in business where we can kind of play it by ear, take it day by day and see what's best for our community and our business.
3: Yeah. I mean, th- this is the time where being a multi-channel business really has yep. its perks. If we Absolutely, were man. just an events business, we would yep. you know, be screwed. Uh, I know
2: mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, it's funny because I, if I were just the cooking school and we didn't have the sauces, like I'd be under my covers for sure. Right. Um, And speaking to your, you know, speaking to your sort of virtual, we, I wasn't sure how our virtual cooking classes would actually work and they've worked great and people love them. And we're figuring out ways to sort of surprise and delight people with real in life, you know, in real life things that kind of help make the virtual experience better. And um, we can talk about that after because it, it's kind of cool. It's like you're in one, you're on like a planet and then something from another planet kind of pops into your world and you all have the same exact, you know, sprinkle, or whatever it is, you know, it's just, it's, it. there's a way to do it, I think, and you guys will figure it out. But it's an interesting idea. Um, and it's something I actually think we're going to stick with. You know, obviously, we too want everything back to normal. But I don't think these virtual classes are going anywhere. And I don't think it's a terrible idea to figure out how to give people the experience when they can't be there in person. Um, whether that's because they just live right. in a different city, or they can't make it that night, you know, um so Ariel, last question. It out. Yeah, exactly. Uh last question for you. Um, best advice to a founder thinking about starting something or in the middle of something that just, you know, got kind of beaten up.
3: Yeah. I mean, I have lots of advice in for lots of different scenarios, but <laughs> I mean I would say that the you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, the early days and honestly first few years of starting this business have been really challenging. Um, and so, you know, there's a few things that have helped me stick stick it out, if you will. Yeah. One, it's knowing that um, I, you know, am privileged enough to have savings such that, you know, if one month we didn't bring home any money, like I would be okay.
2: Yeah, it's really, really
3: important to have that because then you can still take risks and pursue your vision without having to do something, you know, just to pay the bills. Um, Secondly, it's like really lean on, you know, your your co-founder, your team, your, you know, loved ones for the moral support when you feel down. Um, And, you know, I would say third of all, like don't quit. I mean, I read this Mm -hmm. in the early days of running this business. You know, we, I read um, two books that really put things into perspective for me. I read The Hard Thing about Hard Things.
2: Yeah, Uh, that's a great one.
3: Yes. And, uh, you know, it's a really fascinating book, but his, he's a now a successful venture capitalist and he said that the number one trait of all successful entrepreneurs he sees is that they don't quit um and i really believe that um obviously there's a lot of factors playing into that but uh and then the second one was just reading Phil Knight's book shoe king um and it was like shoe, the, dog. shoe dog shoe, dog, shoe yeah. dog it was the first 10 years of nike Um, and it was illuminating because he was, you know, excuse my French, kind of fucking up at every corner. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, we're doing so much better than he was doing. So (laughs) I was just like, okay, put it into perspective. You're a baby business. Like you're figuring it out. It's like you're in kindergarten or preschool. Like you have so much left to learn.
2: Yes. Yeah. And, and no one has it figured out. You know, and everyone who says they do, they've just figured out their particular thing. Um, And maybe Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure about that. So, Atara, what about you? Best advice?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think Ariel had some really great nuggets. The only one that I would add is that, uh, like Ariel shared, the first couple of years were really hard, um, really, really hard. And, you know, being so green to like having to problem solve insanely tough situations every day was like very outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, but I think one thing I would uh, say is that every single issue that um, we ran up against that I thought would be like the end of pineapple or the yeah. end of me um, ended up working out. And I ended up learning a lot from those situations. And it's taught me now that like, you know, whenever there's a tough challenge ahead like we will get through it we'll learn from it and uh, nothing will really make or break us um, as long as we handle these challenges with grace and according to our values
2: yeah well said all right ladies um thank you so much um you know i'm glad you exist i actually went Mm -hmm. on the other day and then i forgot to buy my olive oil you probably saw me on there somehow, <laughs> through like the interweb. Um, but cool, abandoned um,
3: cart alley.
2: I know. I didn't get an <laughs> abandoned cart email. So, uh, you know, I was waiting for one to remind me. But um, anyone out there who wants to be a part of the pineapple community, watch anything, learn anything, or buy their beautiful products, um, is it pineapplecollaborative.com? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, so thank you all for coming, Amanda. Thank, you, so thank you for, um, engineering. We had some blips at the beginning, so appreciate your patience and listeners. I'll be back next week with another episode of in the sauce. Thanks, Thanks for Sally. having us, Sally. Bye guys. Bye. In the sauce is powered by SimpleCast.